Well, we are so glad that you are here, and uh, I appreciate this uh, this great church, and I appreciate all that uh, this church has been doing uh, over the last uh, two and a half months, and uh, we're so thankful for um, Brother Jimmy Chapman, Sister uh, Annie Weaver, Sister Gail Thompson, all of the uh, Hands for Healing team. What a great job they do. I had an opportunity. Amen. They deserve a hand clap, too. Had an opportunity to work with them on Monday for a couple hours, and what a great team of volunteers and tremendous work that they do, um, being able to load those cars up with all that food. I think Brother Jimmy was telling me that they estimated on Monday that they fed 5,000 people. Amen. That sounds like the New Testament, doesn't it? We had 5,000 men. Amen. We, we are following in the footsteps of our Savior and the New Testament church. We're going to be talking about that uh, even tonight. But I'm so thankful uh, for all the ministries, not only that this church has been able to continue to do, but literally to ramp up and to be able to increase uh, our um, involvement in serving our community and serving our congregation and, and literally serving churches all over the country. So uh, a big thanks to all of the staff and everyone that's working so hard. And I appreciate Brother Richie having us pray for the church and the church family, that God would keep us all safe and that everybody would stay uh, healthy. And um, this is something that I've been praying every day, that the Lord would just allow our church to be able to just be a bubble of protection and anointing so that we could continue to minister and God's people could continue to gather without fear. We talked about that on Sunday, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity that we have been allowed to gather, not just legally and not just uh, by the laws of the land, but because of uh, the fact that we've been able uh, to do what is necessary and God has kept his hand upon us so that we're able to have a clean environment and uh, to be able to meet. Now, Having said that, let me do say this, because I know I was pretty strong on Sunday, and uh, we had some very uh, concerned people that reached out to me, uh, members of our church. If you're working in a, in a um, hospital, we have one lady that's literally a, a scientist that's working literally with the virus uh, on a daily basis. And she said, I just don't feel like it would be safe to come back right now, and I agreed with her. I said, you stay where you're at. And keep working with that thing wherever, whatever you do. And uh, there's uh, certainly circumstances like that. And a person's not totally comfortable, but they're tuning into everything and they're staying connected and spiritually. Then certainly I want everybody to feel comfortable and feel safe. What I was wanting to stress on Sunday is that we don't lose sight of the importance and the value of, of coming together so that we would be mindful of that. Uh, as the pastor, I try to stay on the wall looking ahead. And uh, sometimes I know it's, it's easy to feel like maybe, you know, there's pressure being put on you to do something you're not comfortable with. I don't want anybody to feel that pressure. I want you to feel comfortable, and I want you to be able to uh, come back whenever you feel it's safe for you and your family. What I don't think is right is for people not to come back to church, but to go everywhere else around town. And I'm, I maybe didn't make all that clear on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do appreciate this great church. What a great church we have. East Wind family is getting better and greater and stronger. Amen. 
Now, here's what I want to talk about tonight. We are right now um, 40 days out from Easter, which is about the time when Jesus ascended and um, went up. When you read Acts chapter 1, you'll find that uh, when he ascended, uh, the Bible said he showed himself alive after his passion, which we know is that time whenever uh, he was seen of the brethren 40 days. And so, um, of course, from there, you know, he began to tell them about the Holy Ghost. When you read Acts 1.8, he says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So here we are, 40 days after Easter and about 10 days before Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday this year is going to fall on May 31st, and that's also a fifth Sunday. So I have been wanting to have a feast of Pentecost. Because, you know, we, we talk about Pentecost, but in the Old Testament they had a feast. So I've been thinking about how we could have a feast. And I keep saying to our staff, I want to have dinner on the grounds. I want to have a big celebration. I want to have a big gathering. And everybody's like, I don't think people are going to feel comfortable, everybody coming together and having a big potluck dinner, Pastor. So thankful for a good staff that keeps the pastor in line. So I'm like, but I still want to have a feast of Pentecost, you know. So what we've decided that we're going to do, well, there's still coming a time when we're going to have a big party here. I don't know when or how or where, but we're going to have a, a, a big feast. But uh, right now, trying to be, uh, you know, mindful of uh, everyone's safety, we are going to have um, Pentecost Sunday. We'll be having, of course, our two services Sunday morning and uh, Sunday school in between when Bishop Myers will be teaching. And uh, Brother uh, Dylan Morgan, our evangelist, is going to be uh, speaking on Pentecost Sunday. And we're going to be uh, believing for people to receive the Holy Ghost. And um, you're going to be fed spiritually. But when you are leaving, you're going to be fed naturally as well. Because everyone is going to get a bag of lunch with a sub and chips and cookies. So we're going to have a feast of Pentecost. But you're just going to have to kind of take it with you and go. But I don't think that'll slow us down because there's a lot of people lined up in Texas Roadhouse to get their food and go. We have learned how to eat on the go. So we're going to get fed naturally and spiritually on May 31st. We're going to have a great time. But I appreciate this church. And thank you for your faithfulness uh, in giving. I am amazed. I look back between January 1 and May 20th of 2019. And then I look to 2020. And I looked at the giving between January 1st and May 20th of 2020, 2019. And this period of time compared to last year is up 10% in the midst of a virus. Isn't God good? That is a credit to you and your faithfulness. And to a God that allows us to just keep on ministering, hallelujah. We haven't had to slow down anything. We've been able to ramp it up because you're faithful in your tithes and your offerings and your giving to go. So thank you for that. But I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the evidence of Pentecost. And uh, we're going to be talking about this tonight and then, of course, this Sunday. And then, of course, next uh, Sunday, the week from this Sunday, 10 days out, is Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to be talking a little bit about this um, as we as we go forward, and uh, I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the evidence of Pentecost speaking in tongues. And let's begin our reading in Acts chapter two and verse one, because remember now this is about forty days 
um, after what he had directed them, the, the Lord has directed his uh, followers that were there on um, Mount Olivet to go to Jerusalem. And, of course, they go there, being about a Sabbath uh, day's journey, which they were allowed to cover on the Sabbath. And uh, when they got there, they began to pray. Now, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. How many of you were able to watch the uh, Sunday night e-chat with Lee Stone King? Were you able to see that? That thing has about gone viral. There's like 17,000, 18,000 people that uh, have watched that. And Brother uh, Stone King uh, was talking about the sound, you know, and we read about it right here, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then he said, the, the crackling of the cloven tongues of fire. Well, I was like, man, I could almost feel it. The crackling of the cloven tongues of fire. I had never heard it quite said like that. But crackling was really, made it sound like you could almost hear the the fire snapping, you know. But can you imagine being there when this was poured out? And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, that was the birth of this New Testament church. And here we are, 2020, and God is still pouring out his Holy Ghost power. Amen? He's still pouring out his spirit. Well, we know as Pentecostals, and of course when we refer to being Pentecostal, we refer specifically back to this experience that happened on the day of Pentecost. And when we talk about being Pentecostals and we talk about the day of Pentecost, the word pente meaning 50, it really was the feast that they celebrated 50 days after the Passover, going all the way back to the Old Testament. And it really commemorated two things. It commemorated 50 days after the Passover that they had in Egypt, where the death angel passed over, and 50 days afterwards is when the the, uh, law was given on Mount Sinai. So it represented that time, but it also was a representation of the year of Jubilee, which was the 50th year when the slaves were set free. And if your money uh, or if your land had been taken because of debt, your land was returned to you and your debts were paid. And and it was a, a Jubilee. It was a sort of a resetting as it were. And so it was a time of great celebration. And and so they celebrated that Feast of Pentecost all the way from the Old Testament, and they were still celebrating it in the New Testament. And I don't believe it was by accident that the Lord chose to pour out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come. In other words, it would almost be like the 4th of July where people may party and shoot off fireworks leading up to the week, but then there is the 4th of July proper That was kind of like the day of Pentecost. There was much uh, celebration as it was a holiday and it was a season of festivities and all. But then when it says the day of Pentecost was fully come, it was actually the day of Pentecost. And so that's when the Holy Ghost was poured out. And and you know from uh, being a student of the Word of God that God doesn't do things by accident. There's, There's symmetry and patterns and all that God does. And so everything is woven together from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So when this, when this Pentecost experience, this day of Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it burst onto the scene. Literally, this New Testament church that was founded 
and started there on that day of Pentecost. It literally was a birth that took place in the fire. The crackling of the cloven tongues of fire. Ooh, I'm going to keep saying that. I like that. The crackling of the cloven tongues of fire. And so it started in fire. It started in this burst of God's power, God's anointing. They had never seen anything like it. The Holy Ghost had moved on them in the Old Testament. And there were times whenever the Spirit of God took on the form of a man, which we refer to as a theophany. And we see about that in the Old Testament. And then, of course, through the ministry of Jesus, they they saw God manifest in the flesh as all of these miracles were being done and his teaching and the power of all of that. But now there's this experience of them being baptized in the Holy Ghost, literally being filled with this Holy Spirit. And so speaking in tongues was a part of this. And there were these 40 days uh, of fire, which was the 40 days leading up to this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And it was this fire that began to uh, sort of burn in their hearts and in their minds. Now, here's something you got to remember. He tells them, if you go back to Acts 1, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. When you look at these uh, disciples, especially the, the 12 that were so close to Jesus... When they got the Holy Ghost, they got a double dose of boldness. They became so bold, they were not afraid, even to the point of laying down their lives for the gospel. And so this Holy Ghost power, it came and it transformed them. And and, and when we look at this, we see that there is this element that is uh, certainly a part of our Pentecostal movement in 2020 and has been for many years Uh, The understanding of speaking in tongues as the initial physical evidence of being spirit-filled, it really came upon the scene. If you go back and you look at the uh, effort and the interest that uh, was upon uh, the the church in America uh, as it was coming out of the 1800s, going into uh, the 1900s, coming out of the... Uh, what would that be coming out of the 19th century going into the 20th century? We see that there was this effort to really examine Scripture and to find out whether or not this was something that was actually a part of the church today or was it just something that was a part of the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So there were Bible schools like the Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, where Charles Parnham challenged his students to to search this. And they were going into their, their New Year's Eve time and they were going into uh, what would be uh, 1899 into 1900. And then as they were moving into this 1900, he challenged these Bible school students to really find out about this Holy Ghost experience. And so they begin to pray and they begin to seek God. And of course, you know how it is when you pray and seek God, God's going to answer. And they started receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And so from there, it spread uh, down into uh, Houston, Texas. And then, of course, Azusa Street, that mission uh, in uh, Los Angeles that um, uh, what um, I think it was William Seymour uh, that that pastor and they begin to seek God and people begin to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and people started coming from all over the world and there was this revelation uh, after the the falling away and after uh, the Reformation there were bits of truth that started coming back 
And you can trace it through the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century. But there was this movement that was beginning to develop. And I, I think right now where we are, ladies and gentlemen, I think that there's a revelation of the Jesus name power and authority. The revelation of Jesus name baptism is what we're experiencing right now in this generation. But throughout all of history, there's been this revelation as truth has become more prevalent. The Bible got in people's hands and people begin to learn that, you know, the just shall live by faith and all these different elements and aspects of, of learning more and more about the power of God working in our lives. And, and so this Holy Ghost experience, it began to spread all over the world. And this was something that people became so hungry for and and then, you know, you see through the 50s and 60s and the charismatic movement. And, and there, even in my lifetime, I remember when I was a boy and we would have tent revivals uh, up in the panhandle of Florida where my father was pastoring in a small town up there in the panhandle. And we would have tent revivals and we would have old-fashioned singing and we would sit on little wooden benches and we would have church. And I can remember as a kid, you know, seeing people come by and, and yelling at us and, and uh, people throwing tomatoes. And you think, wow, that must have been a long time ago, Pastor. But have you just saw in the news where a Pentecostal church in Holly Springs, Mississippi, was uh, arsons burn it down? They, they, they would not stop having church through this uh, pandemic. And uh, they continued to have church. And arsons uh, burn it down. And in graffiti they wrote, I bet you won't come back to church now, you bunch of hypocrites. And they put that on there and explode and burnt the whole church down. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, we're living in a world that is crazy. And the Bible said you're going to be hated for my namesake. But I'm going to tell you something. God is going to have a church. And God is going to have a people. And truth is going to prevail. I said truth is going to prevail. And who knows what the next year or two or three is going to be. But I want the church to be strong and confident and know that God is on our side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But even back when I was just a boy, which I guess now would be some 48, 50 years ago. And see, and there was such a... Um, there was such a... Uh, an animosity toward people that spoke in tongues. And uh, you were ridiculed for it. They called you holy rollers and, and all of this stuff. I, I remember even uh, as I got older in my 30s and I was in law school, I can remember people saying, Are you like, do y'all like, like handle snakes and bite heads off chickens and roll around on the floor? I'm like, Where do you people come from? What do y'all think? I, don't, it's a, I guess it's a, the, you know, if people don't know you and I, and they only know what they see on television or they, some crazy relative have told them. They think, you know, we're just all down here, a bunch of half-crazed idiots that don't know what to do with ourselves. And we're all down here, you know, foaming at the mouth and running around and swinging from the chandeliers. I don't know, that'd be hard to do in here. <laughs> uh, and, and there was this... There, there was this uh, animosity literally toward it. I, I can remember as a kid growing up in public school, I mean, I, they'd say, what religion are you? You know, they hear that my dad was a preacher, and I'd say, Pentecostal. And they'd say, Penny what? Penny what? And I mean, it was almost like you were, you know, from Mars or something. And there was all of this, but the Holy Ghost kept spreading. Hallelujah. People started getting the Holy Ghost. Other denominations couldn't fight it anymore. They started out saying if you spoke in tongues, it was of the devil. 
And then there were so many people, even a part of the Catholic Church, that started getting the Holy Ghost, they couldn't even, even the Vatican couldn't fight it anymore. They just started saying, well, if you all want to do it, you can do it. And they called them uh, uh, Catholic Charismatics. And then they started, and then other churches started having uh, services that were different. They would have a traditional service and a contemporary service. Now, when you see that on a church's sign, what that means is in the contemporary service, you can play fast music, and if you talk in tongues, you don't get thrown out. For the most part. Now, some churches, their contemporary, their definition of contemporary may be different than somebody else's. But for the most part, that's it. And then even as of, I don't know what it was, maybe 10 years ago or less, finally, even the Southern Baptist Convention had to come to terms with speaking in tongues. And they finally had to say, if you speak in tongues, it's okay, it's in the Bible. And I was at a pastor's conference in California with over 5,000 pastors where Rick Warren got up and said, we were wrong to say that the speaking in tongues was of the devil it's in the bible and everybody should speak in tongues i heard it with my own ears so here we are ladies and gentlemen and we have gotten past the point where if you speak in tongues you've lost your mind people want to know how do i receive the holy ghost speaking in tongues oh i'm thankful for that i'm thankful that we've made that that progress but now We've come up to this point, and this is what I want to talk to you about tonight. All of that was just the introduction. Can you imagine? If I got a tie and a jacket on, I don't teach as long. But without that, see, I feel like I got to teach longer, so I got to go back to a tie. So here's where we are now. Now it's like if you speak in tongues, it's okay. You're not going to hell. But just don't say that everybody has to speak in tongues. In other words, it's great if you do it. It's kind of like a bonus round, but it's not essential. Now that's what I want to look to Scripture because you and I both know that it's not up to public opinion. We've got to find the truth in the Word of God. So let's explore the Word of God uh, together tonight, and then you can, you can come to your own inclusions. All right? Uh, when we talk about what it is to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we know that the Word of God talks oftentimes about being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Okay? You've heard that term before. You know, you, John, be baptized, whatever you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. There's all these different scriptures. It literally meant the infilling or the saturation of being uh, spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, one of the things that we know about speaking in tongues is it did not just start in the New Testament. It was even prophesied in the Old Testament. So I hope you brought your Bibles or your glasses so you can see the big screen. But let's talk about what the Bible has to say. Isaiah chapter 28. Let's start in the Old Testament and we'll make our way forward. Isaiah chapter 28 and uh, verses 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue... Will he speak to this people? For with stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak to this people? You notice that? That's Isaiah now. Wonderful thing about Isaiah is there's so many prophecies about the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And I don't think it's by accident that when they found those Dead Sea Scrolls, that they found almost the entire book of Isaiah. I think that was because Isaiah is, is a great book for the Jewish people because it has so many prophecies of Christ. 
So here it is. For with stammering lips another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith he may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. It was, it was spoken of by Jesus, not just in the Old Testament. It was also spoken of by Jesus as an identification of believers. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. Now these are the words of Christ. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. So Isaiah talks about it, Jesus talks about it, and then we see that speaking in tongues is accompanied the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. In addition to what we read in Acts chapter 2, when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. We also read in Acts chapter 10 and verse 48, when Peter goes down to the household of Cornelius, and he talks to uh, Cornelius in the household about... uh, being able to understand who Jesus is. And as he's preaching, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell on them. And when the Holy Ghost fell on them, it said they knew because they heard them speak with tongues. You see, when Peter went down there, you got to remember where he goes. Peter is going down to Caesarea by the sea where all the Romans, uh, especially the generals and the leaders and the centurions and all them hung out it's a great little uh city on the coast there and it was pleasant and it was nice and the the herod as you know wanting the favor of caesar and build a, a big marina there and a big hippodrome for the the roman uh, uh leaders to have their sports and all that and uh it, it's a it's a it's a nice community There's a lot of it is is, is uh, even preserved to this day but they go down there and when they go down the jews there was a group a verification committee as it were that goes with Peter. Because Peter's like, the Lord's spoken to me. I've got to go down to this Roman centurion and, and, and preach to him and his family. So they go down there. And when they go down there, they go down there literally. They're still dealing with their prejudice issues that perhaps the, the Gentiles cannot be saved. And so Peter goes down there to preach to them. The Lord's already dealt with him. Remember? He's up there at his friend's house, Simon the Tanner. And he's up there at Joppa, which is, is not too far. That's on the coast also. And uh, he says, you know, what I've cleansed, that call not thou common. And, you know, there's immediately there's a knock on the door from uh, two of the uh, servants from Cornelius' house. And, and he says, yeah, the Lord's spoken to me, and let's go. Isn't it awesome how God works on both sides of the equation? Amen. You, don't, you may not realize it, but you can be praying, and God will give you peace of mind about something. And God's working on the other side as well. And then the door just opens, amen? And so he went with them. But these other Jews that went down there, they, they, they weren't quite uh, sure, you know. But when you, when you read verses 44 through 40, I won't read all of them. But it talks about how they knew that they were spirit-filled because they heard them speak with tongues. So from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10, the evidence of people being spirit-filled was that they heard them speak with tongues and if you look in verse 44 you'll see that it says all verse 48 says and then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the lord then prayed they him to tarry certain days so receiving the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues 
was not the conclusion of the matter. They also had to be baptized. Well, in verse 44, it says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. That's what's awesome, because it's the word that triggers that desire in our hearts and in our minds to be Spirit-filled. And so, as they're listening and their hearts are open to it, the Holy Ghost is poured out. And then Cornelius and his household, of course, they were, uh, the Bible describes them of the Italian band uh, from Rome and all of these are Gentiles, but they're also Spirit-filled. Then we read in Acts chapter 19 that Paul comes upon uh, some of these disciples uh, in Ephesus. Paul chapter, or Acts chapter 19 and verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and once again, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, notice the word all again. In other words, it wasn't that some of them spoke in tongues when they got the Holy Ghost, and some of them didn't. It says all. All of them that received the Holy Ghost spoke in tongues. So, at this point, it would appear, at least to me, that when you receive the Holy Ghost, that the evidence of you receiving the Holy Ghost is that you speak in tongues, or you speak words that you do not uh, understand. Uh, The Bible says in Acts chapter... uh, Uh, 10 and verse 7, and all the men were about 12. Also in our text, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So you look at Acts 2, you look at Acts 10, and you look at Acts 19, and it indicates that they all were filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in in other tongues. So this indicates that there there was no one on each of these occasions that did not uh, speak in tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. Now, if you wouldn't mind going over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read uh, the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Of course, we know, and we're going to go back to Corinthians here in a few moments, but I want to tie into this, and we know that this is a letter that was written by Paul to the church that was at Corinth. All right? And it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren... I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So even Paul, when he lays out in Corinthians the, the issue of speaking in tongues, we're going to talk about more of that, about that in just a moment. But right now, I just want you to focus on the word all. He indicates that this is not sort of a multiple choice, you know, bonus round for extra spiritual people. It seems to be even the pattern that Paul lays out in Corinthians, it's a pattern that goes all the way back to the children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt and Moses and all they went through. And of course, the Red Sea being a form of baptism and so forth. So one of the things that we see early on when we look at these principles and these patterns is that salvation has never been a multiple choice with God. In fact, if you read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, One Lord... One faith, one baptism. Oh, hallelujah. God doesn't make it complicated. Man makes it complicated. 
With God, it's very simple. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. What's the one Lord? Jesus. There is no other God. There is no other name. There is no other way. One Lord, one faith. What's the one faith? Jesus' name baptism, plan of salvation, Acts 2.38. There's one Lord, there's one faith. you got to repent of your sins, be baptized in His name, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then there's one baptism. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, One God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. So ladies and gentlemen, there's one God and salvation for all of us. There's no other God, no other plan of salvation. So, the Bible speaks of no other initial outward evidence of the Holy Ghost other than tongues. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and in that, they all receive the same experience. And so there's no other evidence. So any other evidence that you have to come up with, you have to come up with it by going to other resources than the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick with the Bible. Because we know the Bible was written by holy men of God as they were inspired and moved on by the Holy Ghost. So the, the Bible speaks of no other initial evidence of the Holy Ghost other than tongues. And then people say, well, when Paul received the Holy Ghost, did he speak in other tongues? Yes. I'm glad you asked that question. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All right. So we know that this is what took place at, at his conversion. When he called upon the name of the Lord, what happened? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 18. I thank my God, Paul writing again to the church at Corinth, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul, who wrote a good portion of the epistles in the New Testament, was a tongue talker. And he received the Holy Ghost. And the Bible talks about this in his conversion experience when he called upon the name of the Lord. And when he did, he said, Arise and be baptized and washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What does that tell you? He was also baptized in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Everything throughout this New Testament church was the same. It was consistent. So the next question that we have to ask is did the converts in Samaria, which we read about when Philip went down to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and they had that great uh, Holy Ghost outpouring, and they had a tremendous revival, did those Samaritans speak in tongues when they received the Holy Ghost? Now, I will have to say to you, most likely they did. So let's study this together. Verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So the first thing that happens is that Philip, who's a young preacher in that church in Jerusalem, he, he goes to Samaria. You've got to remember now, Samaria is people that were half Jew, half Gentile, and a lot of Jews wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They'd go way around the city limits because they thought you were unclean, you know, to even walk through there. 
So, but, but the Lord, he walked right up into the middle of it and sat down on the well, which was the center of the city. God, God will reach for anybody, anywhere, any place, anytime. Aren't you thankful for a God, hallelujah, that reached for us? We certainly were not worthy of it. So they're having this great revival. Jerusalem's being spread abroad. On, and Philip goes down to the city of Samaria. He starts preaching. What does he do? He preaches Christ. Oh, there's nothing else to preach. It's all in him. Jesus Christ. He begins to preach. And the people, verse 6, with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. See the power that comes with the Holy Ghost? And there was great joy in the city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Now, let's stop for just a second. Let's talk about this. This is important to get this understanding so that you see the the revelation that comes at the next level. There is a power that goes with sorcery. And the enemy, and I know in America because we're based on Judeo-Christian value and we, we have the gospel saturated and it's hard necessarily for witchcraft to get a foothold in this country. But it's becoming more and more prevalent. And when you go into other third world countries, you'll see it's even more and more prevalent. And, and, and a lot of times the, the devil will demonstrate some limited power that he has and he uses that to draw people and, and the thing about people that are followers of, of sorcery and followers of witchcraft and, and followers of Satan worship and all of that, it is, a, it is a relationship that's based on fear. It's not a relationship that's based on love, which is what's at the core of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But there is, a, there is an element of power. So if a person is a witch doctor, or in this case the Bible describes them as a sorcerer, they understand power in the spirit world. They, they, they don't know, perhaps, that there's a greater power than what they're dealing with. But they do understand that there is a power with what they have committed their life to. So, that same city, there was this guy named Simon. And he, he presented himself as being some great one or some person of renown. And he used this sorcery to um, present himself that way or to control the others through this power that Satan had given him. Of course, it was all designed for Satan to draw people to himself. Now look what happens, verse 10. To whom they all gave heed, everybody in Samaria in that area, from the least to the greatest, didn't matter what your position was, didn't matter if you were the governor or you were the guy cleaning the streets or whatever, everybody from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. This guy seems to have great power. And to him they had regard because that of long time, it had gone on for a long time, he had bewitched them with sorceries. Whatever he did, black magic, Bible doesn't say exactly what they did. But whatever it was, it was enough so people were like, whoa, you know, don't cross Simon. That guy, 
you know, he can put a hex on you. So he had control of their minds and their spirits because of the limited amount of power that Satan has that he had given them. But, (laughs) put that next verse up there. It doesn't matter what the devil does. He can always get trumped by Jesus. But when they believed Philip, I just got to stop right there because I got to stay on that for just a moment. It doesn't matter what kind of a dead end you may feel like you're facing. There is a God, hallelujah, that can turn things around. It doesn't matter if it's a sickness. It doesn't matter if it's a situation with an unsaved child. It doesn't matter if it's a financial crisis. It doesn't matter if it's something on your job. I've come to tell you, it could be a relationship issue. But I want to say this because I feel it in the Holy Ghost tonight. There is a God that wants you to know He is greater. He is bigger. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. And this crisis that you're facing may have gone on for a long time. But when they believe Philip, when you believe the preacher, that God can do anything, when you recognize that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world, anything is possible. But when they believe Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, there it is again. They were baptized, both men and women. How were they baptized? They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, there had been physical miracles. There had been signs and wonders. And a whole bunch of people had gotten baptized. And there was great joy in the city. But at this point, Simon is still watching. I just want you to realize that. But then something happens that causes Simon to have to acknowledge that this is greater than what he's been dabbling with. It wasn't the miracle, it wasn't the physical healings, it wasn't the miracle, it wasn't the joy, it wasn't being baptized in the name of Jesus. Watch what happens, verse 14. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now brother Chris Green talked about a little bit about this last night. There, there was a period of time before they all got down there to receive the Holy Ghost. But there was still this element of, there's more to come. Verse 15, who when they were come down, they being uh, Peter and John, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet, he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they've been baptized. It gets back to Peter and John that they're having great revival down there, but they haven't been spirit-filled yet. So Peter and John make the journey. When they get there, they lay their hands on them, verse 17, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, 
The Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money. Ladies and gentlemen, if you receive the Holy Ghost by just meditating with no outward demonstration, my question to you is, what did Simon see? What did he see? It's an honest question. Not the miracles, not the joy, not all the revival, not everything that happened. The Bible says that when the apostles laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost, that Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given. I present to you tonight that what Simon saw was people being slain in the Spirit. People speaking in tongues. People falling over. And what's that? What's that one doing now? He began to see that something supernatural was taking place. And every time he saw somebody else receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, he realized his power base was shrinking. He realized he was in trouble. He realized he was going to be put out of business because there was one greater... Hallelujah. So, though it doesn't say in Acts 8 that they spoke in tongues, I I have to infer from all the other examples that Simon the sorcerer saw something that caused him to offer Peter and John money. He, He wants to buy it. He says, this power, whatever it is, this is some kind of a magic trick. This is something going on. All of these people now are speaking words and language they don't understand. What is this? How can it happen? They've got some trick I don't have. He offers them money. Even though he'd already seen all of that other stuff. It was the Holy Ghost that convinced a witch doctor that he was on the wrong side. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let anybody or anything talk you out of receiving the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's no money that can buy it. Hallelujah. You've just got to say, Lord, I want all of you. I want your power. I want evidence beyond a shadow of doubt that your spirit is for me. Hallelujah. i got to hurry because this is an important part. i got to get to this. For some, it is easy to confuse the different ways that tongues is described in Scripture. Tongues can be evidence of the Holy Ghost, as we've mentioned, but it can also be devotional tongues that a person can just have a prayer language where they speak in tongues when they're praying. Just a few moments ago, we were praying around here, and as you walked around, you'd hear some people speaking in tongues, just devotional tongues as a part of, of their spirit praying. It's like a prayer language. And then there's the gift of tongues, which is like prophetic tongues, which we we saw demonstrated even in our our 10 o'clock service this past Sunday. So when Paul is introducing the different gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, he's talking to the church in Corinth. He is teaching a discipleship course to people that are already saved. So you have to understand the difference between the New Testament church that the book of Acts is literally a historical book in the birth of the church as compared to Corinthians, which is uh, Paul, who's already started the church of Corinth. The church is already going. He's traveling, so he's writing letters back and he's trying to help them to deal with getting, you know, 
accustomed to this spiritual life that they're now walking in. And also the power of God that is very, very prevalent in the church in Corinth. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we begin in verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Verse 28, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, uh, after that miracles, uh, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. See, there's different um, aspects of that. Diversities of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles, questions asking rhetorical questions, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, question mark, do all interpret. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So, if you just read that, it would seem to imply that speaking in tongues is optional. Because he asked a rhetorical question, and it's in the context of all of these other gifts. It's commonly referred to as the gifts of the Spirit. And it would seem like that maybe speaking in tongues is something that some people do and others don't. Because Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, and he's asking it in a rhetorical way. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Are all gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? So, if you just look at that, and a lot of times that verse is plucked out by itself, without understanding the context of the chapters following it, and it's plucked out and dropped all the way over here on the top of the book of Acts, with all of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. And that little verse is taken out of context to say, well, you don't have to if you don't want to. But you've got to understand this verse in the context. So let me explain it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. Paul is trying to give instruction because everybody in Corinth was speaking in tongues. They were speaking in tongues in the market. They were speaking in tongues at home. They were all speaking in tongues at the same time at church. They were all speaking in tongues everywhere they went. They were so happy. It was just like they all had found these power tools, and they were running them 24-7. And so Paul's giving them some instruction. Now watch this. You've got to understand how this is working. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. He says, follow after charity. We know what charity is, love. And desire spiritual gifts. It's good to desire spiritual gifts. But rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now here he's talking about it as a devotional language. He said, when you speak, you know, God understands, and it's your spirit, pray in communion with the Holy Spirit, and so, but, but man doesn't understand. But he that prophesied, now here he switches to the prophetic tongue, but he that prophesied speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now this is what we see when someone has the gift of tongues, and they speak out loud in the middle of a message or whenever, and they speak out loud, and they begin to speak in tongues, and it's very forceful, and it's very powerful. That's the gift of tongues. That's a prophetic tongue. And that's given for the edification of man because many times it's followed with the gift of interpretation. Just like we heard Sister Myers did on Sunday morning and that powerful word that came where the Lord said, I'm going to gather my church. I can feel the Holy Ghost just talking about it. I'm going to gather my church from all four corners of the earth. If you weren't here, they picked it up and it's, it's live stream. You can see it. It's on the website. It's on hopefully YouTube still. They didn't take it off. And hopefully Facebook. You can still see it and hear it. And the Lord says, I'm going to gather my church from all four corners of the earth. 
Hallelujah. And so, we as believers, we understand what that is, and it edifies, There's, it exhorts, it comforts. This is what he talks about. Now look at verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Again, it's the contrast between devotional tongues and prophetic tongues. Does everybody see that? One's edifying yourself, the other one's edifying the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues. He says, I'm not saying I'm against it. You just got to understand the proper use of it. But rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. In other words, he's saying, if you're speaking in tongues prophetically, it's good to have an interpretation, because otherwise the rest of people are lost. Unless we get an interpretation, we don't see how it edifies or exhorts or comforts. You're blessed by it because the Spirit's flowing through you and you feel that. But until we have the understanding of it, we can't be blessed. Okay? So he's giving them instruction. Verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. You've got to be able to understand for you to receive edification. Now, look down in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. I'm trying to hurry. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, and they were. Thank God for hunger. Because if you're hungry... God can give you wisdom. Stay hungry. If you're hungry, God can help you to be able to give you direction and guidance with your hunger. But if you're not hungry for God, then there's nothing that anyone can do. It's got to be a desire within you. He's saying, be zealous for spiritual gifts. He's saying, I don't want to put away, I'm not trying to squash it. Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. It's great that you want all these things. Be zealous of it. It's good. But edify the church. Verse 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. He keeps referring to this. Verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. He's saying it's not mutually exclusive. It's good to have both. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. He's saying it's good to have both. Now look at verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. In other words, he's saying, I'm not saying that we ought to have some clarity about this so that, you know, uh, we, we limit those of you that are speaking in tongues because I'm not against it. I speak in tongues more than you all. I'm not... It's not something I'm unfamiliar with. Verse 19. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. In other words, when it comes to being gathered together in church, it's important that there be clarity and that there be understanding. Because if everybody's just jabbering, there's no way for a person to understand what's going on. Now he keeps, he keeps going down this lane. Verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. <laughs> he got him there, didn't he? he got, that's some of that old-fashioned preaching right there, boy. In other words, you're just... I know you're excited about what you have, but you've got to understand, you're just starting out with having understanding and learning. But don't be children. Let's grow up. Let's mature. Howbeit in malice be ye children. In other words, you're going, to be, you're going to be unlearned in something. Be unlearned in malice, but not be unlearned in understanding. But in understanding, be men. Be full grown when it comes to understanding. 
I have a graduate degree in wisdom. But when it comes to hatred and malice and envy and all that, you can be a child in those things. Don't learn me that. But when it comes to understanding, have an open heart to say, Lord, I want to know all that you have for me. Verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips. Now he refers back to Isaiah here. With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. It is a sign for them that believe not, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now again, he's referring to the difference between the diversities of tongues, where one edifies an individual, but the other is edifying the church. One may edify the unbeliever, but the other edifies the believer. Verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? I guarantee you they will. Verse 24, (laughs) But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. There is no way when you read this in the context that Paul is saying you don't speak in tongues when you get the Holy Ghost. He's literally describing the proper use of it when you're in the house of God as it relates to devotional tongues and prophetic tongues. All right? Verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. In other words, once he has understanding, once he sees it, once he knows it, he has that desire to know, and he confesses that it's of God. Just like Simon, right? Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, everybody's got a song, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue? It's easy to run past that. He's saying every one of you, everybody in this church was speaking in tongues. It was not the lack of speaking in tongues. It was just everybody was doing it. And Paul was saying, we got to do it in good order. Did I lose you? Because you got real quiet on me. Is it because it's after 8.30 y'all got quiet? Okay. I'm hurrying. I'm talking as fast as I can. I'm in deep water here. How is it then, brother? When you come together, every one of you have the psalm. It's like everybody's got a song. That's not a problem. We all sing. Everybody's happy when you're singing. Hath a doctrine. We've all got the doctrine. Hath a tongue. Hath a revelation. Hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. That's what he's saying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now what's he saying there? Is he saying every church can only have one or two people that speak in tongues? No. He's talking about the prophetic declaration of tongues. When the gifts of the Spirit, and one of those gifts is the gift of tongues, not to be confused with 
the initial evidence speaking in tongues. That's for a different purpose. That's to give you evidence that the Spirit of God has infiltrated you. When you have a prophetic speaking in tongues as one of the gifts of the Spirit, it's for the edification of the body. It's not for the edification of you. It's not to give you evidence. Everything that God did has evidence. All throughout the Word of God, He he gives evidence of His power. It's throughout all that God does. But what he's talking about here is this is for the edification of the body. So for us to edify the body, we're going to have to have traffic lights. We're going to have to have stop signs. We're going to have to have some limitations so that everything is not mass confusion. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. What's he talking about there? He's talking about just let it be a devotional tongue. If there's no interpretation... Recognize the importance of it, because what are we trying to do? We're trying to win the city of Corinth. Verse 29, let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now this is not, now he goes to another, now he goes to the graduate, graduate level. And sometimes people don't understand this, but there's been times in our church service, I think there was maybe even a time last year, or maybe the year before, when we were like taking up an offering or something, and all of a sudden, somebody just stood up and started speaking in tongues. We knew that wasn't of God, because we're not that spiritual when we take up an offering. That was a joke. <laughs> I heard a guy say, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grump and a grouch also. <laughs> but it wasn't, the, it, wasn't the right, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right order. So I just simply said, I think it was on Easter. Was it on Easter? Anyhow, there's been one or two or three times. And, and I just said, ma'am, that's not, it's not the right time for it right now. There'll be a time for that. And we move on. It's no big deal. But all every time, there's one or two people. I don't believe the pastor should have shut her down. I don't think the pastor should have said anything to her. He don't have no right to. Well, you need to read your Bible. Because the Bible says the spirit is subject to the prophet. What that means is, I don't care how much you feel it, you still make the decision whether or not to allow it to come out of your mouth. Now, here's why it's important to understand this principle. Man, I know I'm going long, but y'all are getting your money's worth tonight. (laughs) Here's why it's important to understand that concept. Because the same thing is true when you get the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So many people seek for the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And they they think that they've got to fall into a trance. And that God's going to reach down into their mouth and grab their tongue and wiggle it all around. And only then is it the true Holy Ghost experience. That is a lie. The Spirit is subject to the prophet. And the Bible says when they received the Holy Ghost, they spake in other tongues. Now, the Spirit gives the unction, it gives the prompting, it gives the courage, it gives the faith, it gives the boldness. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you speak in tongues, I speak in tongues, we speak in tongues. The Spirit is subject to the prophet. The Spirit is submissive to the vessel. You have to decide, I'm going to branch out now. I'm going to step in uncharted waters. 
And when you do, the Holy Ghost comes. It's like a well of living water that bubbles up. But that verse gives you understanding that the Spirit is subject to the prophet. Look at verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion. This is what Paul was telling this church. God's not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Let's stand. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, I feel it right now. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift up your hands and pray in the Holy Ghost right now all over this building. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the evidence of Pentecost. Thank you for the power of Pentecost. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us evidence. You've given us power. You've given us authority. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, right where you're standing right now, lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. And begin to worship God. Just begin to say, I bless you, Lord. I worship you. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word. Hallelujah. That's it. You'll start to speak words you don't understand. Go ahead. Let it go. Whatever you say is okay. God, I'm asking for a mighty demonstration of the power of God. I'm asking, Lord, that you would saturate this body of believers with the divine touch of the glory of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus. You can feel it in the Holy Ghost. There's an electricity in the atmosphere when the people of God begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. I challenge you in the Holy Ghost. Pray with boldness. Pray with authority. Pray with confidence. Hallelujah, Jesus. Monday night we had people come down after Brother Herring preached. We had people come down to church and get baptized in Jesus' name. Tuesday night people got the Holy Ghost. We got reports. People received the Holy Ghost. 
I believe there's a mighty revival that's coming across this church. God's going to use this church because of how we have ministered to the whole country and the whole world over the last 60 days. God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit in a mighty way. I want you to come and get ready. Bring your friends. Bring your neighbors. Hallelujah. This is the time to believe God for anything. Hallelujah. God's going to pour out His power. God's going to pour out His spirit. I hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Hallelujah. I don't know if you're comfortable enough doing this or not, but maybe if you're standing next to somebody that you rode with, I wonder if you just put your hand on their back or however you want to do it. We got word today from the Center Disease Control that this thing doesn't, doesn't pass now by touch. Well, here we are worrying about surfaces and gloves and everything else. I feel God's going to just penetrate through the midst of all this cloud of confusion. Going to roll up his sleeve and show his mighty arm of power. Pray in the Holy Ghost. I pray a covering on every family. I pray the anointing of God upon every couple. I pray this would be noise to brought. I pray for a modern day Pentecost, a modern day of Baruch experience. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. of your power, Lord. I'm asking for the evidence of your authority. Saturate us, oh God. I see it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm asking the Lord to fill our families with the Holy Ghost. I'm asking the Lord to fill our loved ones with the Holy Ghost. I'm asking God for an outpouring of His Spirit on our friends and loved ones. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm asking for a mighty outpouring of your spirit. 
I'm asking God that you would fill hundreds with the Holy Ghost. I pray that everybody that comes in this building that's hungry for you, God, that has a desire to know you, I pray that they would feel the power and the presence of God. I pray that you would demonstrate that you have greater power. You're more powerful than any spirit in this world. You're more powerful than any force of darkness. You're more powerful than any sickness or virus. You're more powerful than any attitude. Oh, yes, you're the great one, Lord. You're the mighty God. Break every barrier, Lord. Break down every obstacle, oh God. Renew and restore us by your word. Oh, Jesus. 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 God bless you. If you want to come and pray at the altar, this altar is open. If not, you must go. Thank you for being such an awesome church and a great audience tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. I hope you're ready for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Get ready this Sunday. We're believing God's going to fill many people with the Holy Ghost. Don't forget the prayer, 24-hour prayer chain. I've asked Brother Scott and Sister Scott, they're going to keep that going. Even as we go through this summer, we're going to keep that going. Let's continue to believe that that burden and that vision that God put on our hearts at the beginning of this year, that hundreds are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, my friend. That has not been put on pause. That's still the will of God and the Word of God. I'm glad we're a part of it. God bless you. This altar is open. If you must go, God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you on Sunday. In Jesus' name.